most of us have probably cut a finger at one point or the other. And if you've ever done it in an environment where you're far away from your first aid kit or care, you know just how annoying even the smallest cut can be. It can be painful. It's usually in an area that gets banged around all the time and likely it's going to get dirty and gross. So today we're going to talk about wounds and how you should treat them and keep them clean. Welcome to Bushcraft Health and Wellness, the podcast for anyone who spends time outdoors that wants to learn about staying healthy with wellness and preparedness. If you want to keep the high stoke, full send adventures going for years to come, you need to start with the basics because we all want to stay well, play hard, and recover fast. And I want to help you lay a good foundation through memorable stories and helpful tips. I'm Mandy, and when I'm not traveling across the country living out of my Jeep, I'm working as a nurse and planning my next adventure, and I want to share everything I know with you. In addition to new episodes every week, I also create a summary sheet with all of the main points. So check out the show notes for that, plus all of the great source materials. So buckle in and let's go. Quick disclaimer, this podcast does not replace medical advice from a doctor. You should talk to your primary care physician before making any changes to medications or treatments. This podcast also does not take the place of wilderness first aid, CPR, or any other medical training, which are recommended. I make my best attempt to be as up-to-date and accurate as possible, but I am human and make mistakes. Medical content and descriptions of sometimes gory situations may be more adult in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Wounds are probably one of the most basic and most common injuries that you're going to see probably in any sort of first aid, let alone out in the wilderness. Oftentimes, a lot of outdoor recreation or sports or even just activities are high risk to suffer any sort of wound, no matter how small. Oftentimes, they are small, and that's good because you don't want them to be life-threatening. But unfortunately, you can't control the situation, and they're not always going to be small. So we are going to run down a few things that you should keep in mind for all sorts of wound care and wound care basics with regards to dressing and cleaning. One of the first things that you should consider about wounds is how dirty it is. If you're far away from civilization and low on hygiene, chances are that it's pretty gross already. And I'm sorry, backpackers and hikers, but you're not known to be the cleanest people. And that's okay. You're far from running water. You're outdoors. We get it. It's fine. But even small cuts and scrapes can become infected if you don't clean them up a little bit. And trust me, it gets really painful really fast. I was working with baby calves a few years ago and had one thrash and smash my finger against a plastic cart. And it actually took a little chunk of my skin off right over one of the knuckles. And I didn't really think anything of it. I finished up my job and put the calf away, took care of it, and washed my hand and just kind of put a band-aid on it, everything. It's nothing I haven't dealt with before, so like I said, didn't think much about it. But over the next few days, it got really infected and really gross. It was so painful and swollen and red and it had pus oozing out of it and it was just disgusting. 
and to this day I cannot fully bend that finger all the way down and I have this lovely lump of a scar over the top of it and that is all without me. I never went to like a hospital or anything for it because it was pretty minor. I just kept cleaning it and kept it covered as good as I could but I got really lucky. Joints especially if you have a wound over a joint it can so easily the infection and bacteria can travel to that and you can get a septic joint which is a very serious very not fun condition so whenever possible clean your wounds and keep them clean and I'm sorry sometimes I just love saying the word wound so I might say it a little weird okay back to cleaning one of the best things that you can do to clean a wound is to irrigate it preferably with filtered or clean water and then follow it up however you would otherwise with maybe some antiseptic ointment triple antibiotic that medical grade honey I was talking about something like that a lot of the wilderness medical resources actually recommend against using iodine or alcohol or something like that because they have a chance of irritating your skin and causing kind of more discomfort and more problems so it's really up to you what you want to use to clean it but also keep in mind that one of the age-old solutions is no longer recommended and that is hydrogen peroxide because it does clean and does a very good job and it has that very satisfying foamy heating action to it however it really doesn't discriminate against the good tissue and the bad tissue and it will just kind of kill off everything so remember irrigation is the best way they recommend a minimum of about 500 milliliters which is half a liter and just keep irrigating it that's going to physically wash out as much bacteria as possible and especially if you use some sort of pressure irrigation which I spoke about this a little bit in the first aid episode if you have a sport cap water bottle that is great for this or if you take your water bottle and you poke a hole in it somewhere you can squeeze it and get irrigation you can do it with like a plastic bag or something too if you need to I have a couple of little collapsible rubbery plasticky water bottles that I personally keep around and they are great for that because they fold down really low and they have sport caps and they're really easy to squeeze and get all of that pressure out and some first aid kits come with like a little squeezy bottle or something like that whatever you have just try and get about half a liter sometimes it might seem excessive and if it's a little tiny wound it might be a little excessive but if that's your only option it's really not going to hurt that much as long as you have the water on hand also something very good is soap and you don't really need that much of a fancy soap or a fancy cleaning solution just good old hand soap that friction and antibacterial property of the soap alone is enough to get out a lot of that gross dirt and bacteria and all that so soap and water go a long way especially in the backcountry and hopefully you have soap with you and just real quick before we move on I want to talk about tourniquets they are great 
when they're used properly and they do save lives and I personally have probably five or six of them I think I don't know the number keeps going up I have them all over the place because you never know when you're going to come across a traumatic amputation and as a nurse I would probably die of shame if I was not prepared for that however tourniquets have a time and a place when you consider what you're doing when you place a tourniquet that should really speak a lot to how much damage they can do what I mean by that is that when you place a tourniquet they are cutting off all circulation to everything that is below it and also it is crushing all of the tissue and all of that that is directly below it so for that reason they are extremely painful and they can be extremely damaging but that's how it's supposed to be if you ever need one especially in the case of like a traumatic amputation or life-threatening bleeding you should absolutely not hesitate to put one on but just remember that once you do the clock is ticking and it's recommended that unless it is a traumatic amputation or they're likely going to lose that limb anyway you don't leave them on for longer than two hours but really you should take a class called stop the bleed these are classes specifically to teach people how to stop excessive bleeding and teach properly how to use a tourniquet and they are really helpful and they kind of allow you to see how damaging these tourniquets can be and how useful they can be but just know that just because you have it doesn't mean you should use it it's not like the movies it shouldn't be used just because it looks cool and it looks epic and dramatic that's because it is epic and dramatic and they can likely cause some more damage than you might be willing to get into and I will talk a little bit more about them here in a second I just wanted to bring that up real quick here at the beginning so for wounds there are a couple different types an open wound is one where obviously the skin is broken so that is things like abrasions which is in a scrape a laceration which is a deep cut or tear a puncture which is a small hole from a sharp pointy object an avulsion which is a skin flap which may or may not be partially detached or completely detached and then closed wounds are those that the skin is not broken these are things like contusions which is a bruise and a hematoma which is a grown-up bruise so a blood-filled area that develops under skin or tissue there's also a couple different levels that your wound can take on so a clean wound is pretty simple expected to have a pretty low bacteria count and is treated pretty shortly after the wound occurs a dirty wound is a wound in an area with a high bacterial count such as your groin or your armpit or treatment has happened later after the wound has occurred like over six hours later and the bacteria count is expected to be at levels that increase your risk for infection a contaminated wound is one that you already know is dirty and impregnated with organic soil clay like soil fecal matter or one that's already become infected and anyone who has immunocompromisation so those with like diabetes rheumatologic conditions clotting disorders cancers or that are taking certain medications such as corticosteroids or others that suppress their immune system 
should pay attention to immunization status for rabies and tetanus, and they might just consider all wounds as contaminated or dirty because their immune system isn't going to have as strong of a response to the bacteria that's introduced. So the first thing that you should do when you get a wound is control the bleeding. And you're going to do this if you need to with direct pressure, which supplies about 180 millimeters of mercury. And I'm only saying that so that I can emphasize that a pressure dressing applies about 90 millimeters of mercury. So if a wound isn't stopping bleeding with direct pressure, it's very likely that a pressure dressing isn't going to change that any because it's about half as much pressure. However, if you have a lot of people who are injured and you don't have time to sit and apply direct pressure, a pressure dressing can still be appropriate. Next, you want to clean the wound. Make sure to scrub and irrigate it with soap and that filtered water or whatever wound cleanser that you have on hand. Trying to avoid hydrogen peroxide, remember. Next, you want to dress and bandage it with a clean or sterile gauze and bandage. Anything to keep it clean and dry for the most part. And remember, the more complex the dressing, the more likely that it is going to fall off. And then you're going to monitor the wound for infection, even with the most minor ones. Remember my story about my finger. And infection symptoms are redness, heat, tenderness, swelling, and smelly or colored discharge. Also, quick note here on antibiotics. A lot of people kind of expect people, others, experts, I guess, to tell them to bring antibiotics in their first aid kit. However, I personally am not going to recommend that because, first of all, I am a nurse and I can't really. But second of all, you shouldn't really just be taking antibiotics indiscriminately and not either getting a direct prescription for them or taking leftover antibiotics that you have. You should never have leftover antibiotics. You should never take somebody else's antibiotics. And they're very conditional. You're going to want a different kind of antibiotic for every different suspected kind of wound or based on the culture of the bacteria that is growing there, which is why a lot of places they might start you on broad spectrum if the benefits outweigh the, the dangers, but usually they want to get an idea of what that bacteria is before they just go prescribing because just prescribing broad spectrum antibiotics without knowing is how people develop antibiotic resistant infections and it generally, it could just not even help. You might be fighting a virus with your antibiotics and that's not going to work at all. That's probably not going to be the case with the wound, but you get what I mean. If you do have a doctor or a medic on your team, if you're in like an expedition or with a group, they might have them with them and be able to make that decision for you. Or they might be with someone who is in contact with a doctor that can make that decision for you. But otherwise, unless that's the case, Unless you have a condition and you've worked it out with your doctor that you would like to take them with you, that is probably the only time I would ever say that you should take antibiotics on 
the trip with you is if you have gotten a prescription specifically for that ahead of time. Also, antibiotics are very high on the allergy list, so I wouldn't recommend giving them to people who have any sort of antibiotic allergy when you're out in the wilderness or anyone who has a lot of either medication or other allergies because you don't want them to have an allergic reaction on top of everything else that's happening out there. And that is really all I've got to say about that. So that was antibiotics. Now, let's talk about applying pressure. It might seem pretty simple, but there are a few little tips and tricks here. So first of all, with any wound treatment or anything with fluids involved, remember if it's wet and it's not yours, don't touch it. So put on those gloves that hopefully you have in your first aid kit, or if all you have is some sort of plastic bag or something, just try and do what you can to protect yourself from blood and other fluids. And then take clean gauze. Sterile is nice, but not always required. And, or if all you have is like an extra t-shirt or something, try and get the cleanest piece of fabric you can and just put it over the wound and apply firm, constant pressure over whatever the source of bleeding is. Sometimes it's really helpful to irrigate the wound a bit so that you know where that blood's coming from. And this is one of those things where if you know, you know, you have a giant bloody hole and you can't really tell, Just you just know there's a ton of blood coming out from everywhere. But when you irrigate it, all of a sudden all that blood is washed away and then you can see the exact spot where it is coming from. So if you need to, you can do a very quick irrigation so that you know where the pressure needs to be applied to and try and get as close to that area as possible. And remembering from last week that we are not applying direct pressure to head wounds, we're using diffuse pressure for those so that we don't push any bone shards into the skull. So larger wounds, you might need to pack with gauze or hemostatic dressing and then apply pressure. And as the gauze soaks through, Don't take it out, just leave it in place and add more on top of it as you need to because that's just going to help add to the pressure and if there is any sort of clot forming already, you could dislodge it by pulling out that saturated gauze and starting over, which you don't want to do. You can try elevating above the level of the heart if it is an extremity. That won't necessarily work 100%, but it could help slow the blood flow a little bit and help you get that bleeding under control. For pressure dressings, you once again want to protect yourself and you're going to apply the gauze or piece of fabric to the wound and then you take your either elastic wrap or your rolled gauze or strip of t-shirt that you can cut in like a diagonal if you imagine a toilet paper roll or a paper towel roll that piece of cardboard how it unravels into one long continuous strip of cardboard you can make something like that out of a t-shirt and make a pretty good kind of roll of bandage You're going to take that and you're going to wrap firmly around the wound and secure it with safety pins or tape or something like that so it stays in place. And once the dressing is in place, keep in mind to check circulation, sensation, and movement, that CSM, to make sure you didn't wrap it too tight. 
understanding that wrapping it tight is the point and there's a good chance that you might need to redo it later. I myself have applied band-aids way too tight before because I think oh the tighter the better but then it starts kind of throbbing and it really hurts and it's achy and that's probably because I have cut off blood flow and then especially as a wound starts to swell it's going to further cut off and restrict that blood flow so you probably will have to redo these a couple times remember if you do at some point try to keep the actual dressing in place so that you don't dislodge that clot. And then when thinking about when to evacuate, if something is going on like the wound is long and deep and you think it might need sutures, that would be a good time. If it's dirty or contaminated, caused by an animal or a human bite, I don't know what you're doing out there, but if you have a human biting you, you might have bigger worries. Or if there's signs of serious infection, if the laceration or cut or wound or whatever is to a cosmetic area such as your face, you probably want to get that treated properly as soon as possible because you don't want too much scarring, I guess unless you do. Some people like scars, I suppose. Or if the wound has dead tissue or sloughing around it and obviously needs surgical repair, you should rapidly evacuate. And any wound where there is a suspected fracture or dislocation is a good candidate for evacuation. Okay, let's go over wound cleaning and then infection just real quick again. I know I've kind of already gone over this a little bit, but I want to talk a bit more about irrigation and cleaning. So... Remember, um, scrubbing with soap and water is probably one of the best things that you can do. They recommend that half a liter of fluid, and it just has to be water. And irrigating will remove the majority of the bacteria, and then that friction with the soap later when you do soap and water can remove the rest of it. If you need to, take a pair of tweezers and remove any debris that you can get to, but be careful not to damage the tissue and make bleeding start up again. If you really want to, if the wound is particularly dirty, you can add a very diluted iodine, providine, or alcohol type solution to the water and try and use that because it'll be enough to maybe kill a little bit more bacteria but not quite so much to cause irritation and when I say little I mean like five milliliters of iodine per half a liter of water or one milliliter of iodine per hundred milliliters of water and just for reference a shot which is one ounce is 30 milliliters so one sixth of that would be five milliliters and if you don't have a syringe available, remember you can always poke a hole in a water bottle or use the sport top or a plastic bag, something like that to use that pressure irrigation. And also do not ever pressure irrigate a wound that is like a deep puncture or where the water cannot drain properly because then you're just shooting water into it and making a nice swimming pool for the bacteria to grow and raise their families in. Okay, infection is the 
probably second biggest concern with wounds. Bleeding is the first, obviously, and after that is infection. And generally in an austere environment, infection is a less pressing concern because it does take a little bit of time to set in in most cases. Hopefully after the person is back to civilization could be when that happens, but that doesn't always tend to be a hard and fast rule. And also that doesn't mean that you should ignore cleaning and let them just deal with it later. That's kind of rude to just be like, well, whatever, as long as we get them back to the hospital, then they can deal with the sepsis and cellulitis and whatever other crap when they get there. So always do what you can to clean the wound with irrigation, antibacterial, and then whenever you have the antibacterial ointment that you can put on there or honey, go for that. Remember those both work through their antibacterial properties with the ointment itself. And then also they are this very thick viscous material that creates like a physical actual barrier so that bacteria can't get through it. You're also going to, no matter how well you clean it, keep a lookout for infection. So generally wounds have some sort of clear or bloody discharge. That's pretty normal unless it's a very excessive amount or if it turns yellow or green, those are signs of infection. A serious infection will lead to fever, red streaks from the wound. That's a sign that it has gotten to the local bloodstream and swollen lymph nodes as your immune system kicks it into high gear to try and fight that infection. Sepsis is a condition when an infection becomes systemic, so it's in the blood and it's now the whole body. And people become septic all the time in their home lives, so you don't even need necessarily an obvious open wound. It is very possible for a person to just become septic at home in their bed at night and what you're going to look for for signs of sepsis are high fever, chills, nausea and vomiting, they might have pale or clammy skin, low energy, high fatigue, and an increased heart and respiration rate. So just a few tips to treat infection. Once it gets to that point, if you have done everything and you couldn't stop it, There are a few things you can do to try and improve it, but really just getting them to medical care is probably going to be the most effective and best method so that you can fight it from the inside. However, if that is not a possibility and you just need to try and take care of it right now, you can try soaking it in hot water for 20 to 30 minutes, three to four times a day, remembering Hot water and boiling water are different. You don't want to burn the skin in the process of trying to do this. Yes, it will probably burn the infection out, but it will then also create more damage and more openings for different infection to begin. And it might not necessarily just kill all of the infection. Instead, you're just essentially torturing torturing your patient. Don't do it. If you are able to, this is going to be a little gross, but you can pull the edges of the wound open and clean it, irrigate it again, dress it again, and if you can't do that, like if it's sealed shut from blood or the healing has already started or just you don't even want to know what, if you can't get it open 
easily. Don't force it open. Just clean it as good as you can on the outside. Pack it with a moist gauze and evacuate rapidly. And as always, monitor signs and symptoms by tracking for redness or swelling. A fun way, I don't know if fun is the right word here, but a interesting way that you can do this is if they have a wound, it's probably going to be red and inflamed around it. And likely it will have a very significant line around that redness where you can see the edges of the infection. So if you have a pen or a Sharpie, you can take that and write or circle around like literally right on the edges, go all the way around where that redness is so that next time when you look, if it has moved in any way, if it's receded, that's great. You can see or if it has grown, you can tell how fast it is growing beyond that level. And the faster it's spreading, probably the more concerned you should be. Okay, let's move on to dressings. I'm going to start with a little SAT style riddle here. While all band-aids are dressings, not all dressings are band-aids. That is, not all dressings are created equal, but they do all serve one main purpose, and that is keeping the wound clean and most of the time dry. Unless you are in fact using a moist dressing, then their purpose is to keep the wound dry and moist. And I really apologize for people who hate that word. There's no other word I can really use. I guess I could say damp, but that kind of, that almost seems grosser somehow. Okay, additionally, they are used or useful, I suppose, in keeping antibiotic ointment in place, keeping the wound intact and preventing further bleeding or damage. A few considerations for bandages mostly regard their effectiveness. So in most cases, especially in an austere environment, it doesn't need to be sterile, but the cleaner, the better always. You also want to consider that for any kind of wound that's bleeding or oozing, those liquids are pretty sticky and a lot of gauzes are going to stick to those unless it's a non-stick gauze or if you apply some sort of barrier ointment or cream that will specifically help prevent that. Also dressings are not as effective once they get wet so if you need to do some sort of river crossing or something like that, bathing, sweating, anything like that, do what you can to keep them dry. I know in a hospital setting one of the main Examples of this, I would say, is an IV. That is considered a wound, and we want to keep it dry and not allow the dressing to get soaked and saturated, and then we basically have to pull it out and redo it. And also, that is a literal main line into your veins, so into your blood. So those are very much, we want to keep them as clean as possible. So what we do is we actually take those little emesis bags, those like green or blue bags, they're like a sock, I guess, for more or less, like a little tube. And we take off the rigid plastic top, we cut a hole in the bottom, so now you have a literal tube that is open on both ends of plastic, and you can insert their arm into it, and then you just tape the top and the bottom, and it creates the best seal that you're probably going to get other people use like plastic wrap or something so if you have happened to pack 
a emesis bag of some sort, you can try that trick if the wound is small enough. And if the limb is small enough that you can get that over it. Otherwise, you can cut it open and try and use it as just like a barrier and tape all four sides around it so that water can't get in. Another method you could try is using your emergency shelter blanket. No, not blanket. That emergency shelter like tinfoil thing. But if you don't want to cut it or if you have another option, I wouldn't recommend cutting that up because you might need it later. If a wound is too big for a simple bandage, that's a good indicator that it might also need stitches, which is a good indicator that you should evacuate. And in an austere setting, you can try and use skin glue or super glue if that's what you have to try and keep the edges of the wound together, knowing and remembering that petroleum jelly and petroleum jelly based products, so maybe triple antibiotic, can break down that glue so if you're going to glue it it's best to choose one or the other and that is also helpful to keep in mind if you have glued something to someone either purposefully or accidentally and you would like help removing it if you have some petroleum jelly it can help you get that off of their skin the Wilderness Medicine Books by Arbach also provide some pretty good examples and pictures of a lot of wound closure methods and I will try and find or reproduce pictures of those because I think they're really great options to know. I would have never thought of some of those on my own so at any point if you need to go through a book like that to figure out these solutions they, you never know the cool and unique things that you're going to find in those. So one of their solutions is basically a way to let you stitch shut a wound without stitching the skin, which is recommended, especially if you don't know how to stitch, you haven't been trained in that, please don't practice on your friends in the wilderness. They're already having a bad enough time if they need stitches. And also if the wound edges are particularly jagged or friable, so they're already starting to kind of disintegrate and slough off, you might need to explore different possibilities. And one of the really cool ones that I thought here was taking either strips of fabric that are about the length of the wound or taking tape that is about the length of the wound and for tape you would fold over one edge to try and make it a little stronger. You might also need glue unless you just have really good tape then you can use that. But in one way shape or form you glue or stick the fabric or tape parallel on either side of the wound and then you would t stitch that together somehow. You can either stitch it or if you have just fabric to work with maybe cut slits in the fabric on either side and then take smaller strips and kind of cinch it shut like a corset. So essentially you will be stitching without stitching. You're just using that fabric or that tape to bring the edges close together and hold them there. And then from there you can dress over the top of it to try and keep it protected and covered and help the tape or the glue to stay in place. 
There's also a method that they have where you can do that with hair tying. So if it's a scalp wound and they have long enough hair, you can basically take little strips of hair from either side of the wound and tie it in a knot and then glue the hair together. Because if it's like my hair, it, just tying it is not going to stay in place. It will just slip right out. So that's just another method to kind of naturally stitch something shut. And I thought that was a really cool method of doing it. Another thing about dressings and bandaging is keeping in mind that you should always check that CSM, so the circulation, sensation, and motion before and after placing all dressings that wrap all the way around an extremity. Even if they don't wrap all the way around an extremity, checking for that is a good way to make sure that blood is flowing properly to that limb, particularly if maybe there is a dislocation or a fracture or something and blood flow could be impaired naturally. I will say a lot the CSM thing and if you're only gonna take one thing away from any of these podcasts that is that you should know how to check things like vitals which essentially include this CSM check. If someone's circulation sensation and motion is fine to an extremity that is always a good sign. So if you only have one assessment in your back pocket, in addition to being able to make sure that they can breathe and that they're not bleeding out, I would have the circulation sensation and motion on hand and ready for you to utilize because that one is just so important and it's so helpful for many of these assessments that I go through. Okay, just continuing on with more dressing and bandaging tips before we wrap it up for the day. Try and whenever possible pick the right bandage for the job. So don't make it too excessively big or complex because those are going to have a higher likelihood of failing. And then also you should be removing or rechecking and redressing at least daily or as needed if there is bleeding or oozing through the bandage or if it becomes wet or dirty in any way, shape, or form. And while you're at it, remember to check for those signs of infection while you're changing and recheck that circulation sensation and movement. Also, if a wound is on a joint, maybe consider splinting above and below that joint to immobilize it so that the edges of the wound stay together because whenever you're bending and moving an area a lot, the skin is kind of going to, I mean, it's going to do its job. It's usually elastic and doesn't have to worry about this. So it goes in every direction. But when there is a wound in question, that is more of a problem. So consider splinting. That's never, I mean, sometimes it's a bad idea, but sometimes it can be a very helpful tool. Also, if you have strips as one of your methods for closing a wound, remember that you might need some sort of skin prep to help stick it better or you might just need to glue it because sometimes those stereo strips are just crap and they don't stick right and remember that that um, either ointment antibiotic ointment or petroleum jelly can really affect how well tapes and glues and stereo strips will stick to the skin 
Also for extremities, it can be very helpful to compare one side to the other when you're trying to decide what is normal and what is abnormal in regards to circulation, sensation, movement, size, if there's any swelling present, and or function. So I'm going to throw this number out there. Tendons can still function within about a 75% tear but they're going to fail or struggle when you test them with resistance. So that's another instance where you can use the hand grip strength or the foot push and pull method or whatever test you can to try and test and see if that tendon or extremity is able to handle some resistance or some strength with it when it moves. For animal bites, you might need a special sort of rub, um, not rub, like soap or antibacterial ointment wash thing. It's called benzalconium chloride. I have never heard of it. It is special, I guess, for animal bites. Or you can just remember that you should scrub vigorously with soap and water and that these wounds might be considered quite a bit more contaminated. And also, I remember specifically there's a book, I think it's called The 29th Day, and it's a really amazing book. It is about a guy, a young man, I think he was a teenager, who was on a canoeing trip with a few other people, and he gets attacked by a grizzly bear and suffers from a pretty severe bite like pretty high up on his thigh hip and they kind of try and treat it themselves instead of I mean they're evacuating yes but they choose against the immediate helicopter evacuation aspect and I think for a while at first that wasn't a possibility and so it kind of takes you through this entire roller coaster of his healing and the wound and they really do a good job of detailing that something like a grizzly bear when it bites you it has those long canines that have that deep puncture but then the rest of the teeth kind of crush and like masticate so there's so much more going on he actually they were really worried about the puncture wounds but then the trouble kind of came in in those crush lines where the other teeth like destroyed the tissue underneath and there was some wound tunneling so that means it kind of died and was causing infection and tissue death and sloughing underneath the skin so to areas where it was kind of harder to treat and that's a whole nother aspect of wound care if there is tunneling involved if you're able to stick a finger or if you have like those q-tips or the um, cotton tip swabs you can kind of guide them gently I'm gonna say into that tunneling and the deeper and farther it goes kind of the worse off you're at and those are the kind of wounds that you don't want to pressure irrigate unless it is able to drain So unless the tunnel is 100% all the way out to the other side and you know that there's not other tunneling that just goes deep down, those are things that you would need to consider if you are attempting to pressure irrigate a wound, particularly a bite or like a deep puncture wound. Also, wounds that need stitches ideally need to be stitched and treated within eight hours if it is on an extremity 
If it's on a torso, you can get by with about 12 hours between wound cause and stitching. And then they'll give you about 24 hours for face and scalp because they think they want to treat those a little bit differently since they're a little more vascular and a little more cosmetic and you want them to heal properly. Wounds on any immunocompromised patient are considered high risk. I've already mentioned that. Also, remember if someone has blood thinners in their daily medication, they might need to be evacuated and also considered more high risk. And lest we not forget, I do have one more quick aspect I want to cover before we finish up for the day. We're going to go back to that lovely tourniquet. Remember, I kind of talked about them a little bit. They cause a lot of damage and pain, and they're not to be taken lightly. They can cause some blood clots underneath or below the level of the tourniquet. So you should first think about identifying all wounds to the injured area because you don't want to apply a tourniquet directly over another injury. And you also want to apply it about two to three inches above either that injury that you're looking to stop the bleeding, but never over a joint and not directly above the knee because that's kind of a higher risk, higher motion area. When in doubt of the extent of the injury, remember to go high and tight on the limb in question and remove any slack from the device or the tourniquet before turning the windlass, which is the tightening device. And remember that this is going to be very painful. Next, you want to remember to never apply a partial tourniquet as that really just makes the injury worse because your arteries are what pumps the blood down and away from your heart and lungs for the most part. And your veins are a lot less rigid and a lot less powerful. Those are what allows your blood and all the fluid and stuff to come back to the heart and lungs and return. So if you just do a partial tourniquet, you're only going to cut off the veins and like the smaller arteries and all, or not arteries, the smaller veins and the smaller vessels. And the arteries are still going to be able to pump blood down, but then it's going to get trapped there and it won't be able to return. So if you're going to do a tourniquet, you got to do it all the way. There's no half-assing here. It has to be all or nothing. You want to make sure to secure the tourniquet so it doesn't fall off, become loose, or move because that kind of defeats all of your planning on where you place it and how tight you place it. And mark the time that the tourniquet was placed. If it has failed to stop bleeding or you need to apply another tourniquet, apply one right above it rather than removing the first tourniquet and trying again. At this point, that marks the starting time that the patient needs to get to medical care within two hours. If it's been more than two hours and help is not present, but the patient is not in shock, they're no longer bleeding, and you can carefully remove the tourniquet and place a pressure dressing instead, you can go ahead and try that. But note, in the case of a traumatic amputation, you're not going to want to do that at all. You're just going to leave it. The limb is already gone. There's no point in removing it because at this point you're just trying to do damage control. And then if you do place a tourniquet on a person, it is usually recommended that you mark them in some way, shape, or form so that when you hand over care, 
it doesn't get missed. I know that seems absolutely ridiculous and like it's never going to happen, but these things do happen or else we wouldn't be having this discussion. So you should mark a T on their forehead, either with medical tape or a marker, and try and include the time that it was placed and if possible, maybe the location because it has happened before where someone has missed a tourniquet on like a leg or an arm and then they're packaged and they're covered and protected from the elements but that means when rescue gets there they don't see the tourniquet and they don't immediately assess it and bigger problems can arise from there. So that is what I had on tourniquets. I do once again recommend in addition to your CPR course that you take a stop the bleed course is very helpful as well. I myself have not taken one. I, I'm not sure if I need to, honestly. I know we covered tourniquets pretty extensively in nursing school. I do think it would probably still be helpful, and it is on my list of things to take. They are relatively cheap, I think, and relatively quick compared to a lot of the rest of the classes and courses you can take. I think they're just a couple hours, and they're like maybe 40 or 50 bucks. So definitely a lot better than a wilderness first aid or something like that, which is a time and money investment. Okay, that is what I have on wounds. That is it for today. I'm going to cut it off there. We've been going for plenty long enough. So as always, remember to check out the show notes for the tip sheet, as well as the newsletter with additional information and all of the references and resource materials. Also, please give me a subscribe, rate, and review this podcast if you're enjoying it. And let me know that you're out there if you have any specific topics that you would like me to cover. I am taking suggestions at any point in time. I know I have a huge list of them, and I can only get to each of them so fast, but I am working on it and hoping to one day be able to add in stories and interviews as well. So thanks again for joining me and we'll see you next week.